0: So what do you do when the world around you is shaken? Who do you turn to? You turn to a God who sustains this, who holds it all together. Again, I can't say enough about the courage of these people to share, by the way. Uh, They say speaking in public is the number one fear of human beings. I would say probably number two would be speaking into a camera and giving your testimony. So I just want to say thank you to the five of you who shared, and one of them is with us this morning. So Annette, thank you for doing that. It's very special to hear from all of you. So God reassures us of who He is, how He does His justice, but there's some warnings here. In verses 4 and 5, God says this. He says, To the arrogant, I say, boast no more. To the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. God says to the arrogant, boast no more. No more. To those who live without regard for God and His truth and boast in themselves and what they can accomplish, this is God's word to them. Look what He says in Jeremiah chapter 9. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts... Boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. What will really count before God when we stand before Him in judgment? The answer to that is that we know Him. That's it. Riches, wisdom, All these things on this earth that we want to claim and take pride in and boast in will mean nothing at that point. But God says that they know me, who I am. The question for you today is, do you know him? Because that is going to be the ultimate question when you stand before him someday. To the wicked, God says, do not lift up your horns. Horns, that's an interesting term. It's going to appear four times In this chapter. So, what does the word horns mean? Horns are emblems or symbols of power, dominion, glory, fierceness, as they are the chief means of attack and defense with animals endowed with them. In Scripture, we see this illustration, this word used for power and authority, the horn. The idea of lifting up horns against heaven is the idea of an oxen, a stubborn kind of an untamed oxen refusing to bow its head so that the farmer could put the yoke around its neck. But the idea there is it's literally lifting or throwing its horns against the farmer in pride, in arrogance, not allowing the yoke to be put around its neck. This is the equivalent of you and I shaking our fist in the face of God. It's equivalent to resisting God or relying on our own power. That's really what it's talking about. And the warning there is do not do that. Spurgeon has a great quote, and I'm going to do a shout-out to my men's group on Thursday. We're going through the book of Esther, and we're studying the person of Haman and Mordecai and and Esther. And so here's a quote, and those of you in my Thursday men's group can really understand this in, in a graphic way. But let me read this quote. Those who carry their heads high shall find that they shall be lifted higher yet. Really? As Haman was upon the gallows which he had prepared for the righteous man, Mordecai. You'll be lifted up all right, kind of like Haman was lifted up. Now in our men's group we've been studying what that word gallows really means and I won't get graphic here but it really is a pole and it really speaks of an impalement rather than a hanging with a noose that we would think of. And so it's a very graphic and we've been talking about it studying in our Thursday men's group, but the illustration is there beware of lifting yourself up in pride against God. It will not work and you will receive punishment for it, very clearly. Now, knowing God is our judge, it gives us confidence, but there's also some warning associated with it, and there's reasons for humility in verses 6 to 8. Here's what it says. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup. Now here's the vivid imagery here. Listen to what it says. It's a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. It, he pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Wow, what is going on there? Number one, only God promotes. Self-promotion is not a part of the kingdom of God. Promotions in any direction in our life, to credit, to authority, to influence, to wealth, they're simply the work and the gift of God to us. And we can give Him the praise and the glory for those things. Promotion doesn't come from a geographic position. It doesn't come from anywhere on this earth, the psalmist says. You can look east, you can look west, you can look in the desert, you can look all over down here. You will not find it because it's not an earthly thing, it's a heavenly thing. It comes from God above. Proverbs twenty-seven two is an interesting verse that says, "Let someone else praise you, and not your own mouth." You know, it's easy to want to toot our own horn, to promote ourselves, to speak about ourselves, and to lift ourselves up. But the wisdom there is, let someone else do that. And the wisdom that Jesus Christ gave is let God promote you. Let God lift you up. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 12, told his disciples, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. If you self-promote yourself, guess what? You're going to be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. They'll be lifted up. Let God promote you. Only God promotes, only God judges. And there's that, verse 8, speaking of the wine, foaming, mixed with spices. His judgment will be at the right time, it'll be equitable, it'll be powerful and sustaining, but it's going to be severe. And the image there is this foaming wine mixed with spices. Those spices are added for pungency, not for the taste and the flavor of the wine, but so it tastes terrible. This idea, this cup, is a metaphor for God's wrath and God's judgment throughout Scripture. And God is mixing it, He's pouring it out, and the wicked are going to be drinking it all the way down to the very bottom of the cup. Those who drink willingly of the cup of sin will be forced to drink the cup of God's wrath and judgment to the very last drop. The Scripture speaks of this in both Old and New Testament. In Isaiah, chapter 51, verse 17, Isaiah says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, you who have drained it to its dregs. It's that same image, the goblet that makes people stagger. This is not a good thing. This is the cup of God's wrath. And then in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, and this verse occurs at the end of the bowl judgments. In the book of Revelation, there's the seal judgments, there's the trumpet judgments, seven of each, and then there's the seven bowl judgments, getting increasingly worse as time goes on. So in Revelation 16, verse 19, it says, "...the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup." Fill with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Wow, that's pretty serious words. God will be the judge, and it will be done severely for those that reject him. However, Jesus also spoke of the cup in the New Testament. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. What he was speaking of is, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's judgment. Because he was going to the cross, he was experiencing God's wrath the next day on the cross for you and me. Because he took God's judgment for you and me, we do not have to experience that if we receive him as our Savior. In fact, for us, the illustration of wine in the book of Revelation becomes this celebration in the festival, in the banquet that's going to occur there in heaven for all eternity. So for you and I, it's coming to know Christ and escaping the cup of God's judgment. Endless praise, verses 9 and 10. Look what it says. As for me, as for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob, who says, so in verse 9, it's me, the psalmist is saying, verse 10, it's God speaking, God says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. As for me, in verse 9, for believers, we do not experience God's judgment, we experience endless praise. The righteous will forever remember what God has done for them and will speak of it. And that's the beautiful picture here in this, in this verse. And then there's that word selah at the end to contemplate, to pause, to think about this idea of praise and what it means for you and me. We're going to watch another testimony about praise for God.